My name is Catherine de la Poor. I'm a coach, a digital anthropologist, and I work at the intersection of culture, technology, and data. Today, our topic for discussion is work from anywhere. And we're gonna be exploring this and hybrid models and really thinking about why flexibility and deeply human experience is the future of work. Joining me today are two very special guests. Alex Westerdahl heads up HR for tech product and design at Spotify. He originally aspired to become an engineer, but landed in HR and has ended up working in HR with engineers. Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much. It's the best job in the world. And my second guest is James. James Stacey is global IT leader at London Stock Exchange Group. His core experience is modern workplace transformation, which covers both employee experience and all aspects of workplace technology. A very warm welcome to you, James. Thank you, Catherine, and thank you, Alex. Look forward to speaking. So I really wanted to start by setting the scene and taking you both back to the 16th of March, 2020. And for us in the UK, it's day one of um, lockdown. And really wanted to ask Alex, you first, would you paint the picture for us? Um, what happened at Spotify um, in Sweden when COVID hit? We had, um, well, if I look at Spotify in Sweden, we had two different camps. One camp believing that this, won't become as severe as we now know it actually did become. And one camp routing for close down the offices ASAP and ask people to work from home. We monitored the situation and read up on recommendations from the authorities as much as we could. And we were one of the first companies in Sweden that decided to close down our offices and ask people to work from home. And we made that decision during the weekend, if I remember it correctly and sent out communication to all staff on Monday morning that we expect them to work from home. But they could, of course, come in and, and grab their things from the office. And we'll talk a bit about that later in the podcast, I believe. But our culture was key in ensuring that this was a success. And I think that we were also a bit surprised over ourselves how easy it was to have everyone work home from one day to another. Thank you. Easy working from home. James, question to you, um, because I know your team was responsible for flipping 8,000 people to remote working in, in one week, was it? It was uh, around, around a week, Catherine. Uh, and a little bit of background on Elseg as a business, we didn't have a broad culture of remote working. Uh, the business had grown rapidly through many acquisitions over a number of years, but as a result of that, we've run a transformation program to provide a desktop experience with the tagline, work anywhere from any, de any device, uh, completing shortly before the start of the pandemic. And COVID really put that to the test. The, the immediate challenges we had were one of logistics. Because people weren't working, used to working from home, we had critical market operations teams with setups, four screens, perhaps multiple phone lines that they needed access to that we had to, to shift out to their homes and, and get them up and running uh, over the course of a matter of days. We also had to monitor capacity. So ensuring that our remote connections, which were usually in the hundreds pre-COVID, pre were suddenly at 3,000, 4,000, 500 concurrent, concurrent sessions. But there were no major challenges. We just needed to ensure that the business was, we had sufficient capacity and, and sufficient resiliency 
to support uh, support the users. And then we, we reallocated or reassigned a number of staff that, provide, that did on-site technology roles onto the global service desk to support the, the huge volume of calls coming in from our users. They were battling with Wi-Fi problems and trying to get their kit up and running at home over those first few days. Thank you. One of the things that I was really excited about talking to you both um, today was really the opportunity to compare and contrast two very different approaches to preparing for the post-COVID era. One is obviously working from anywhere, which Spotify, um, Alex, you in particular, I wanted to hear more about what that actually means um, versus this hybrid approach to working. So what, what does it mean at Spotify to work from anywhere? We've actually had the discussion for a few years. What is the future of work? What will it look like? What's the relationship between employer and employees? What role will the office play? And, and the more global we became as an organization, the more relevant the discussion was. And we all agreed that flexibility is going to be at the core and somewhat personalization as well. We personalize the content that we present to our users in our product. We believe that the same applies to to the labor market. Employees today grow up with a completely different expectation on the personalized experience for themselves when they enter the work market. So flexibility and adaptability were like keywords that we were looking at. Then the pandemic hits, which accelerated this thinking and we needed to go from high level thinking to what will this actually look like in practice and what's possible and not possible to do with the legislations and the the tax regulations that's out there. And that's when we created our work from anywhere program. And we started off with addressing what is it that we're actually solving for? What would be the reason for why we would do this? And some companies are doing it for like cost saving, um, downsizing office space and things like that. Others are doing it for access to talent, etc. We decided on, on three different things. One is the access to talent. We keep growing, we keep hiring new people. My business unit alone, which is like a fifth of Spotify, is hiring 700 people this year. So we needed to get access to larger talent pools across the globe. And this program helps us hire from new markets and employ people in new countries that we, we couldn't before. We also saw an uptick in requests from existing staff that, that wanted to move back home. We've hired a lot of people and relocated them to our main hubs across the world. And, and they, during the pandemic, realized that other things mattered to them than what mattered in the past. They hadn't been able to travel to their families or meet their families and friends for a very long time. And they indicated that they wanted to move back home. So the second reason for us to do this is the retention perspective for us to be able to to keep the people that we've hired and that we rely so much on, we needed to give them the opportunity to continue to do what they do, but from another location. Otherwise they would leave us. And the last thing, the third reason for why we did this was uh, to nudge better ways of working. If we took a step back and looked at our organization, we were already operating as a distributed first organization. We had offices all over the globe. We had people in all time zones across the globe. If you just look at our World Trade Center office, we have uh, 15 floors. It takes 10 to 15 minutes to get from the top floor to the bottom floor. So people dialed into meetings anyways, even though they were in the same office. So we were culturally living in a world where we optimized for co-location 
thinking that people were co-located, but in reality they weren't. So we, we chose to instead lean into this and acknowledging the fact that we are distributed. We realize that people work differently at different times from different locations and different time zones. So let's embrace that rather than fight against it. And uh, implementing our work from anywhere program is, is part of that cultural shift that I'm talking about. Then you mentioned uh, a hybrid model. Our model is actually hybrid. And I think that's the biggest misconception out there. Many people seem to think that we say that remote is the way to go. Everyone should be remote or office is the way to go. Everyone should be in the office. We actually don't have an opinion. And that's the difference. We have the opinion that people should have the possibility to choose and the freedom of choice comes with with great things. If I get to choose where I can be my best self and be as productive as I can be, it will have a huge impact on engagement, on well-being, on productivity and collaboration and innovation and those type of things. So we're giving people a choice. And then we tell them that, honestly, we don't care if you work from home, if you work from another country, or if you come into the office. We want to give you the choice and we want to acknowledge that we are a distributed first organization. So we're keeping our offices, but we're also offering this flexibility. But it comes with a bunch of other challenges that, that we're, we're gonna to talk to you during this podcast. Well, you, you've set out a very compelling case, access to talent retention, better ways of working, freedom of choice, best self. James, I'm interested to find out a bit more about financial services version of hybrid. Is it the same? Is it different to what Alex has just set out? It's probably more closely aligned to the Spotify model that Alex just talked through that the, the many would, would probably expect. Hybrid working is about choice. Whilst there's still a, a physical office, we'll still have a critical role to play in how we work, but the aim is to create a more balanced, inclusive and collaborative work experience. This will enable our colleagues to thrive and be more healthy, happy, and ultimately deliver good outcomes for the business and for our customers. The goal was really to create an environment and a culture where we have the right balance between working remotely with the benefits that that brings in terms of productivity, flexibility, and personal lives, but also the benefits of work being in the office, working with colleagues and again with customers, whilst remaining connected and productive. So what I heard from both of you actually was this real emphasis on choice and how that links to well-being. So that all sounds great, but I'm really fascinated to dig a bit deeper now and think about what your biggest learnings might have been over the past 12 and 14 months um, since the beginning of last year. And I'm, I'm particularly interested in sort of comparing and contrasting impact and learnings on culture first from you, Alex, and then maybe look at technology as well from you, James. So Alex, first uh, question to you on culture. Of course. Um, and first of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that there hasn't been a choice today. We're operating in a crisis. It's a pandemic. People didn't have the choice. We told them you have to work from home. And I personally want to have an office. So I'm going to go into the office once we open up again. That's my choice. I need the energy working close to other people. I can't work at home with small children because I get distracted and I can't be a good father and I can't be a good employee. So um, that's my choice. But from a cultural perspective, I think what this proved to us is that cultural truly eats strategy for breakfast. We've been the past few years investing a lot in leading in uncertainty, 
in learning faster than the world is changing around us, in being adaptable. And that's exactly what happened. People had to change their ways of working and their habits. You didn't have the commute anymore. You couldn't go into an office. You had to, to set up as an engineer, your three screens at home somewhere in your bedroom or at your kitchen table or similar. And that's the type of culture that we've been building for many, many years. And it was really put to a test when we sent everyone home from one day to another. And it proved to be successful. We could see that people were doing okay and people were as productive as before. And now when we're one year into the pandemic, we can see that a lot of people are actually doing better while some are doing worse. And those doing worse are usually the ones that weren't allowed to make a choice, that maybe want to be at an office. They have a small apartment or they can't send their kids to daycare or school. So they have to combine family time with work time and those type of things. Um, so that's why I think the free choice will, will be very impactful post the pandemic. And James, to you, what have been your team's biggest learnings um, thinking about this through the technology lens? I'd, I'd say the most, the, the biggest shift we've seen from a technology perspective, Catherine, was ar around video technology and, and around meetings. Pre-pandemic, many of our colleagues would join meetings via, via a physical, physical phone, dialing into meetings. But uh, through the new video technologies, through the likes of Microsoft Teams, we're now able to one-click join meetings and much more productive in meetings. We can uh, communicate better. We can, we've, we've saved a lot of time and we're building much better relationships. That also highlights to me how adaptive uh, people can be to, to new technologies and to new ways of working when they need to be. Uh, these technologies had been available pre the pandemic, but people continued to work in, in the same way they had in the past. But suddenly there was significant benefit in adapting and, and embracing these, these new technologies and, and people did that very quickly. I love that you both mentioned emotional human needs actually in your answers. Firstly, Alex, you talked about freedom of choice um, and autonomy we know is one of uh, four emotional human needs. And, and James, you talked about um, the importance of building relationships and how video technology can has enabled your workforce to do that, perhaps in an accelerated way. So if we just look at this idea of autonomy, the importance for human beings to feel a sense of power and control over what they're doing, I'm wondering how this might have been understood and translated for Spotify employees employees in particular, this uh, concept, Alex, of aligned autonomy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. I think you can talk about aligned autonomy or purpose-driven leadership or any of those terms. But basically, uh, the belief is we've looked at research on what motivates people today in a knowledge-based society. And you have the drive model as, as one model to use, which talks about three things that needs to be fulfilled for people to be motivated, to tap into people's intrinsic motivation. And autonomy is one of the key components there. Then you also have growth. People need to feel that they get better at things. And you have purpose. People need to understand the bigger picture. What am I doing? And how do I fit into this grander scheme of things? If we look at autonomy, then the most common misconception that I've encountered is that autonomy is it's uh, basically the same thing as telling people do whatever you want and something great will come out of it. Innovation will happen and, and you'll feel good. But that's actually not the case. Autonomy comes when you have boundaries, when you have a clear box to move within. And that's what aligned autonomy is about. If you don't have your like, clear swim lane or your box to move around in, you'll inevitably be end, end up in a situation where people have overlapping responsibilities. And 
that only drives politics and territorial thinking and frustration because people bounce into each other and it creates this friction when they try to agree who owns what. So aligned autonomy is about setting up those swim lanes or setting up those boxes and the boundaries and then, then allowing people to move freely within them. And, and we do that through purpose-driven leadership. This is the mission of our team. This is the direction that we're going in and that creates alignment and by default also ensures autonomy for our people. Mm. And what evidence have you seen or has the business seen that choice, this idea of choice and flexibility has led to better mental and emotional health outcomes for your workforce? Is that something that you can talk about? Um, yeah, sure. Going back to the drive model uh, on how people stay motivated and having that sense of autonomy and self-drive, I think it falls into the bucket of, of free choice. If I can impact my surrounding, if I can impact when I work, how I work, from where I work, I can also impact my life and I have a stronger sense of control. And I think that's what research shows is the positive that comes from having people work from home. You have an increased sense of control. And that's a good thing for people uh, because that means that you're in charge of your life and not someone else or other external factors. And that's where, where free choice comes from. And again, it's not about everyone can do exactly what they want whenever they want. There needs to be boundaries and constraints, but as long as those boundaries and constraints are clear and there's a clear why we have certain boundaries, then people can start to have that sense of control and autonomy and the free choice. I hope that explains or answers your question. No, this is um, brilliant. And I think in, in contrast, if you like, and we've seen this over the past couple of weeks, Goldman Sachs is now heading back into the office. Um, and the city of London really is famous for having um, perhaps a more traditional attitude towards work. Um, you know, perhaps employees uh, need to be in the office. James, to what extent do you think the pandemic has shifted these attitudes around, you know, people being seen, if you like, versus um, perhaps a more trusted working environment where people are trusted to go off and work from home and perhaps uh, be as productive uh, working from home? So there was a few questions there, Catherine. But what I will say is, is attitudes are certainly starting to change because what we've seen through the start of the pandemic is that is a levelling of the playing field. This is a, a term we've used a lot as we've started, started to rethink future ways of working. And what that really means is more powerful relationships are being built outside of the office. So those aren't in that, in that single location. Perhaps they're in another, in another office or another continent. We're building better relationships with those colleagues and, that, and that's having a, a huge impact on productivity. Uh, across global teams, it's making the, the, the playing field a lot flatter, uh, and that's ultimately where we're heading. In terms of the second part of the question, I think it will take time for, for attitudes across financial services to change, and this is, this is really for two reasons. One is to do with trust, and that's simply many still believe if you can't see uh, what, what people are doing, you don't know what they're doing, you don't know that they're working, but that's certainly changing. What we're starting to see is more outcome-based work rather than expecting people to show up and sit at their desk and work really focusing on outcomes. What are they actually delivering? And as that develops and becomes more a more mature way of thinking, attitudes will start to change. The second is a, is a really important factor as well and is, and is critical to why we still believe that the future of the physical office still has 
a large part, a large presence uh, in, in our future ways of working. And that's around how people learn and develop, particularly the, young, the younger generation, learn and develop through those personal interactions. And that's probably a large part of the why that the reason why many financial institutions are going to insist on a mass returning to the office. But I think its attitudes will start to change, but we, we mustn't lose, lose sight of that personal development aspect. Yeah, I think that's you, you've raised a really important issue about different um, age segments, actually, um, people at different stages in their career. So I think that's a really relevant point um, to make. I think this whole piece around performance, for me, as somebody who thinks about emotional intelligence and the impact on performance, it makes so much sense if you're giving uh, employees uh, greater autonomy, so greater choice, as Alex has just been talking about. And if you're also giving them the opportunity through technology to build more meaningful relationships, that's the that's the belonging piece, if you like. Um, if you're able to offer both autonomy and a sense of belonging, then of course, um, you are meeting two very important emotional needs of your workforce. And um, I would suggest, and obviously we need to see this bearing out in terms of how things uh, develop and progress around that productivity piece. You mentioned, James, that this trust piece, and I know that trust-based leadership is something that's very important uh, within Spotify and within Spotify's culture. Has anything changed in terms of, let's think, thinking about prevailing mindsets before the pandemic and you know, thinking about coming out of the pandemic, Alex? Talk to us a bit about trust and the importance of trust at Spotify. Yes, of course. Just before I answer that question, I just want to reinforce what, what James said about level setting the playing field. I think this whole transformation that's happening in the world is truly level setting the playing field to your point, James. And I think that's great. And just imagine the positive impact it will have on, on diversity. And as you said, Kathleen, on belonging as well. All of a sudden people leave their social marketers at the door. All of a sudden we start to bridge countryside with cities and we start to, to allow for groups that haven't had the same possibility to to have their dream job or make a career or similar, we're, we're giving them that opportunity now in the future if we can hold on to this. So we're kind of fast forwarding the work market in, or the labor market 20 years into the future, which I think is amazing. But with that said, to answer your real question about trust-based leadership, we made a few bets. Spotify isn't that old, we're 15 years old. And fairly early on in our lifetime, we made a few bets on what we believe in and, and we've addressed some of them one is like the leading in uncertainty aspect that I talked about. Another one is drive model. What makes people tick? What autonomy makes people tick? You need to trust your people. You need to create a safe environment for them to, to perform in and fail in. And that will in turn drive growth of people and, and generate innovation and those type of things. We've talked a lot about uh, having a controlled chaos at Spotify meaning that we don't believe in in processes and bureaucracy and we think that the day we over bureaucratize our organization we will never be able to come back to the, the fluidity and flexibility that we have today so we've constantly been leaning towards chaos over control and we've chose to define it as controlled chaos so we've had this mindset and i think what has been proven proven us right now is, is the pandemic. All of a sudden, these components is falling into place and the doubters in the past are now seeing that these were the right bets to do. This was the future of how to set up an organization. And the trust-based leadership is a key component of that. And uh, similarly to what you mentioned, uh, 
uh, earlier, James, looking at like output or effect or impact, that's really what matters. The old traditional ways of, of measuring people's productivity by looking at input is not relevant anymore. It's outdated. You can't look at the hours people spend in the office when they come in or when they leave the the, like the FaceTime culture where you don't go home before your boss goes home or things like that. That's so old school and it has nothing to do with, with engagement or motivation or an organization's financial result or the well-being of the people in the organization. And I think that becomes very, very clear for, for so many out there today. Wonderful. We're going to move to some quick fire questions just before we end this wonderful conversation. And I really want to sort of have take a more sort of systems thinking approach. What new internal stakeholder relationships or networks have you both built over the past year or so? What's changed in terms of your internal stakeholder network? James, to you first. I'd say the most important partnership kind of post new ways of working is that relationship between tech, HR and real estate that the three parties have to be in complete sync as, as we rethink the future of work. What's the purpose for going to the office? What do you do? What do you, how, how does the, the office look like? How's the office set up? What are the policies that are aligned with remote working and hybrid working? And then from a technology perspective, how do you use the technology and how do you ensure next generation user experience, whether working in the office or working remotely? And I can follow up on that. I agree completely. Those relationships have been crucial to maintain and grow even further for us as well. But I think what, what have, have been fun for me personally is that I've never spent as much time with our corp tax team uh, as I have this year. Uh, and that has mainly to do with us being more flexible on what locations people work in, because that, of course, impacts where we as a company pay taxes. So I've learned a completely new field for me, myself, which has been very interesting. Wow, that is a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> We've touched on this idea of distributed workforce models versus co-location. What does that mean in terms of opportunities to downsize office space, the office footprint? Alex, to you first. Yeah, as we started off with, I think you have to be clear on why you're doing this. And for some, it is a cost-driven initiative where you can downsize office space. For us, it's not. Our problem has always been that our offices aren't enough because we're growing so much. So it's a fortunate position to be in. And we don't anticipate to downsize any office spaces, but we will rebuild and rework the role the office plays in our organization. So it's going to be more of a social arena more of a event-driven space where you come in with your team to strategize, team build, and, and think about the future. So it's going to be a lot more flexible than what it was in the past. But it also means that for me, for instance, I've, I've said that I'm giving up my desk. I don't need a desk because I'm walking around in the office space so much, networking with others, meeting with others. And, and uh, that will change for, for other teams as well. At the moment, we're working out what the office will look like for our engineering teams because they depend a lot more on their tech equipment and, and the desk that they sit at. So we're hosting a bunch of workshops with our engineering teams to understand the role of the office for them in this future world of working from anywhere. Same question to you, James. 
similar to Alex in the sense that we're reimagining the purpose of going to the office. But in, in answer to the, to the question, yes, in short, yes, uh, we will be reducing uh, office space. And there's very kind of public uh, announcements from many across financial services that, that that's that exactly what they're doing, reducing their real estate footprint. But the critical point here is, is really about reimagining the purpose of going to the office and what you do in, in the office and how you will collaborate and communicate when you're there and actually the work that you're doing uh, when, when you're in the office. But in, in answer to the question, yes. Yeah. You talked about it earlier, James, level setting the playing field and, and the risk by having the office as we both have chosen to have and keep the office is that we fall back into old wheel tracks when we open up the world again. And then all of a sudden you create two groups, you create the remote workers and you create the in-office workers and, and you have problems helping them collaborate or having them work together. So I think that's the key component that we need to figure out. And it seems like both you and us are, are discussing what that would look like. So what, will, what role will the office play? And will people have to dial into meetings even though they are in the office space and things like that to, to keep some of the benefits that we've been seeing now when people work from home? That's the biggest risk we see, Alex, is disrupting that level field playing field, disrupting all the, the great work that's happened over the last year and then and then we could balance it one way where those in the office are almost the outsiders and then those that are working remotely are, are more co collaborative or the shift is back to the masses being in the office. And, and once again, those that are remote have that, that suboptimal experience. I think it also leads on to other risks associated with this hybrid working. And another that stands out is presenteeism. If the senior leaders start to return to the office five days a week, many employees may feel that they need to be. Uh, need to be back in the office. So it's, it's critical that leaders' behaviours start to set the tone for a new culture and a, and a new way of working. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Do you believe, a bit more of an existential type question to you both, do you believe that in the post-COVID era we can or organisations can reimagine and rebuild our world so that work serves our lives rather than the other way around? The simple answer is yes. Uh, by offering the free choice, we also offer people to take ownership of their own lives again. I think the, the continuation of this is, we haven't addressed it yet at Spotify, for instance, but the continuation of this is removing like work hours entirely and solely looking at impact or output or, or similar. And then like if I would extrapolate what this looks like in 40 years from now or 50 years from now I think tools on how to measure output and impact will be a lot better than what they are today it's difficult to measure my job for instance when it comes to impact I sit in HR how do you measure if I'm successful or not without having some sort of like self-reported rating and I think that will be doable in the future and then all of a sudden maybe I can also own how much time I spend in my office I'm hired to do a specific thing or, or I'm being paid on the impact that I have and everything is a lot more fluid. And then maybe for six months, I choose to work for 20% and for, for six months, I choose to work for 120%. Uh, but it's up to me. So the concept of work, I think, will, will change. But now we're talking long, long into the future. Uh, but that will definitely then serve people and families a lot more than what it serves uh, today. I agree with Alex. I mean, the past 12 months have proved there are tangible benefits for both the business and the employees in this future ways of working in, in remote working for flexibility, for productivity. We now need to try to measure that with data and better understanding truly how productive people are uh, and ensuring that, that remains the case. 
but I'll also, um, and we'll do that through employee surveys. I think from it, we've, we've touched a little bit on employee experience as, as we've talked over the, over the last half an hour. And, and that's critical to uh, communications is critical as, as we work remotely and it's becoming more important in multiple ways of communicating with our employees, surveying uh, our, our colleagues to, to understand how they're feeling, what's working well, what's not working well, and then taking a data driven approach to what people are doing and even from well-being. We see data that shows that many people, there's a lot more emails, there's a lot more chat messages being sent from very early in the morning to very late at night, and including the weekend. That wasn't the case pre-pandemic. And we need to get the balance right in terms of well-being versus productivity. One prediction from each of you for the future of work. I think it's um, what I touched upon uh, in the last question. Organizations will organize themselves completely different in the future everything will be a lot more fluid. And you can see concepts of this in the holacracy, organizational theory, and, and those type of concepts. And while I don't think they are successful for more than very few specific organizations today, I think you're gonna see a lot more of that in the future. I agree with Alex. And in terms of, uh, this is just the start is my prediction. Over the, over the next few years, we need to continue to experiment, identify what works well and, and what can evolve. So I think it's going to be a few years before we really start to understand what this, this new way of working uh, ultimately means. But it's important that we do experiment, we try new things to ensure that's a success. Well, that's a brilliant note to end on experimenting. Um, and I wanted to thank you both very, very much for coming along and talking to us. Thank you, Alex and James. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it far and wide. And we are very much looking forward to having you back here. And that's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Alex.